Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. You are listening right across Australia on 87.6, 87.8 or 88, wherever you are in the Faith FM network, in the stratosphere, on the moon. I don't know. <laughs> but what I do know is that you are listening to me right now. It is a beautiful, crisp morning here in Newcastle. It is currently 7am and you are joined by myself, Lawson, and my wonderful, amazing, awesome co-host, none other than Monica. Monica, how are you doing this morning? Dude, we should 100% broadcast from the moon. Let's get on the nearest, <laughs> let's get on the nearest rocket and That's, do, do radio from the for moon. Sure. For sure. Just do oh, one way. Thank yeah. you. Um, you want to go one way to the moon? I want a round trip. I want to come home. <laughs> no, I'm good. You just, just give me just give me enough noodles. <laughs> we'll be fine. We'll be fine. How, oh, how are you, Monica? Oh, dude, I am I am just so good. I'm like I had the most blessed weekend. I got blessings as long as the list of my arm. Just such a <laughs> Yeah, such a great weekend. It was really, it was restorative. It was restful. The Sabbath was lovely. I got to spend time in Sydney mm. with my friends. It was mm-hmm. great. Some gal pals, wonderful. How was yours? I'm cooked, bro. You cooked? No, I'm living my best life, but I'm cooked, You're and tired. and I and I'm cooked because like I just I'm just on the grind. Yeah. On the study grind. I finished my essay yesterday, a crisp oh, 2,658 words. Nice. Um, I have 40 references. Oh, wow. In my essay. So I was researching, bro. Good. Well, I might actually talk about what the outcome of my essay was during my new segment, because I, I kind of talked about it last week, but the my research question is, did God preemptively harden er- Pharaoh's heart to remove his re- ability to repent? An excellent question. And I was like... It, it took me everywhere. It took me throughout history. It took oh. me to the to the mountaintops and to the valleys of theological discourse. And I believe that I have a solid and uh, a clear understanding of the topic now. So I'm absolutely stoked. I'm keen to hear this, to be honest. But I am cooked. <laughs> Coming up in today's show, we are going to be doing a Bible study. We're going to have none other than Big Kelvin coming in and talking about all things wacky and wonderful in the Bible. Oh, Hey, during my news section, we might talk a little bit about my essay. We're also going to be talking about the founder of the app Cash App, which is something we don't have in Australia, but something they have in the United States and some controversy surrounding it. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. And we are going to get into our first clue for the quiz for this week. What number am I? This is clue number one. The plague of darkness on Egypt lasted this many days. Okay. Do you know what it is? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're too clever, Lawson. I, I, I'm not going to write it in the air. Um, but, yes, I... <laughs> hey, 0491 is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. If you do, you will go into the draw to win. That's happening on Friday. That, that is happening on Friday. Yeah, but it's uh, it's if you get this right, just like right now, the way Lawson did, you actually get 500 points. You mm-hmm. get more chances in than if you get it right on a later clue in the show. Mm. Our clues get less valuable valuable the longer you leave it. Mm-hmm. But you only have one chance per day, so if you get it wrong, you're out. You're gone. And the, yeah, you have Booted. to wait till the next day. you got to sleep it off mm-hmm. and then wait till tomorrow, and mm-hmm. then you're going to try again. So... It's a bit of a gamble. Do you want to play early and get the big points or do you want to play later in the morning and get the little points with a better chance of getting 100% right? So that's our, that's our, little, that's our little Bible quiz every morning. Uh, if you want to play just for the, for the kudos, for the tap on the back, you can star it. 
and uh, and then we will know that you don't necessarily want to enter the prize draw. But if you want to be in it to win it, just send your answers in zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. We are going to tell you about the prize now. It is a double set. This is so fantastic. You get the Great Controversy DVD from Fountain View, which is um, the Fountain View Academy Orchestra and Singers. Just an amazing DVD. It, it's a musical historical journey through Europe. Beautiful music. And you also get a jigsaw puzzle. Jesus at the Helm, 1,000-piece jigsaw puzzle from the Bible Gallery Collection. So tell us, what number am I? The Plague of Darkness on Egypt lasted this many days. Mm. Absolutely. 0491-064-669. Monica, what is happening in the world on positively different news? This good news today has filled me with jealousy. Someone Mm -hmm. out there is living the life I want Uh to be living. Get this right. So a grandson has accompanied his 93-year-old grandma Mm -hmm. to be the oldest person ever to visit all 63 national parks in the United States of America. That's amazing. That's amazing. How many national parks does Australia have? Can you quickly Google that? We probably have more. Do you reckon? I guess because we don't um, populate our land mass as much as the US does. Yeah. But then I feel like if they're like out everywhere, they're going to be putting up more parks uh, than we would be doing. Well, we've got six Commonwealth... Wait, hold on. So you- we- oh, Queensland has 237 national parks. Oh! <laughs> we creamed them. That's a lot. I feel like they. I don't know. I feel like they got because they got that. Um, they got that Yellowstone. They got that blowy uppy thing, and then Yosemite. they got, that, That's the one I was thinking about as yeah. well, with all the cliffs and stuff. They have some really famous ones. They have the Grand Canyon. Yeah, I've been there. Have you been there? Do you know what? I've come so close three times and not gone. I went down into the Grand Canyon oh. on, in a helicopter. We went, you know, flying yeah, around and yeah. then down in there. And I remember I was 10 and my little sister was eight and we had two, you know, my two older sisters, like 13, 15 or something like that. And uh, the, the tour guide guy, he like pulled my dad aside. He's like, you know, just because hypo kids. And he's like. Look after your kids. Make sure they don't run off this cliff, please. <laughs> that, like, like, but then, like, also, will they be okay? Like, yeah, are your yeah. kids hypo enough to like run off the cliff? And my dad's like, no, nah, they should be alright. <laughs> like, they should be okay. Are we used to, like hyped up American kids? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, sixty-three national parks in the U.S. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently, it's a common challenge that people undertake when they retire is to go on a road trip to see all national parks in the U.S. I guess it's a bit like in Australia when they do the big lap. They buy themselves a caravan to the big lap. Mm. But a 93-year-old grandma has just done it all. She's done all 63 parks in about eight years. Um, she took her took her time doing it, but it has become the oldest person ever to do it. So this is, her name's Joy Ryan. She didn't do it herself, though. She has a handsome young man, her grandson Brad, for company, who has described the adventure as the greatest privilege. Oh, let's play a game, Lawson. Okay. I'm going to tell good news stories, and you're mm. going to tell me what Bible verse I'm thinking of in relation to them, right? Okay. So Joy Ryan and her handsome young grandson, who has described this adventure as the greatest privilege ever, hanging out with old people who are wiser than than him and uh, learning some stories from his grandmother he didn't know in the past and uh, and um, yeah getting some wisdom passed down through the ages they began in October 2015 they visited the Great Smoky Mountains mm-hmm. National Park in Tennessee and uh, and actually finished 
just on Monday uh, last week when they made it out all the way, and this is very impressive, to the South Pacific, to American Samoa. They didn't just do the national parks on mainland US. Mm. They literally went all the way to Samoa and... Uh, and uh, yeah, and they they live in uh, the hometown of Duncan Falls, Ohio, which I've actually been to. And uh, they left at three a.m. on a Saturday, and uh, and uh, yeah, and they, it took them three days to get to Samoa. Classic. Three flights, uh, nearly seventeen hours of flying, all so they could hit this goal of getting to all the national parks. DJ Shell is actually uh, a native. Well, she's American. Sorry, not Native American, <laughs> but she's she's a native <laughs> of America. She's yeah. an American. She was national. born there and she grew yeah. up there, and she. But she's now Aussie in Wisconsin. So I am interested to know how many um, national parks DJ Shell has been to, or if she has a favorite. She's oh, she's frowning and shaking her head. Do you have a favorite national? Have you been to any? You haven't been to any. What? I guess it's only sixty-three. We have like hundreds. Well, and that's hundreds the thing. Like national parks are like constantly on our borders and backyards. It's yeah, like yeah. as soon as you drive inland in Australia, oh, I'm in a national park. I guess like like well, <laughs> yeah. the one around here. We've got the Wadigans. We've got uh, what's the one next to the beach called? Come on. Um, oh yeah, I know the. I, I've been to Glen that Rock. one. Glen, Glen Rock yeah, National yeah, Park. Yeah. I, oh man, this this is this is my city here, right here. We've got the you know Mount Sugarloaf. That area is kind of national parked off as well. And then you've got the national parks up in the Hunter Valley. Dude, we're surrounded by national parks. And praise the Lord for that. I, I didn't even realize that we had so many um, national parks in Australia. I was suddenly feeling even luckier to be in what they call the lucky country. But we all know. It's the blessed country. Mm. That must be really doing good for our air to have that many uh, national parks. So, um, yeah, out in America, Samoa, it's a national park that actually spans seven villages of in- indigenous land. And uh, they get to take in breathtaking views of the South Pacific and, and see interesting wildlife like a colony of fruit bats. Um, and then their grand- the grandson, Brad, has said, while the national park adventure has ended, their travels will not. They actually plan to take it international. So now... <laughs> <laughs> they set their sights on broader horizons. They now are planning a trip to visit Kenya mm. on a National Geographic organized expedition as the first stop on a mission to touch all seven continents. And maybe, apparently, if Joy keeps her enthusiasm, outer space as well. <laughs> so mm. they also want to hit up the moon. <laughs> Dude, well, that's what we, we'll meet them there. We'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll jump on the we'll bus. We'll interview them live next time on the moon. Yeah. But this is great for a 93 year old. I think this, this, this vim for life. Mm. She's not stopping. She's not slowing down. She's found herself a traveling buddy that has the energy to keep up with her, and she's mm. off to see see the the great na- um, the great nature and the great uh, creation that the Lord has made. What a what a great uh, attitude to have later in life. Did you guess what Bible verse I had in mind? Um, mm-hmm. Well, I know like is it Job twelve? The Bible says like wisdom is of the age and whatnot, but. I don't. I don't think that's what it is. What were you thinking? What did you? Have I think I was thinking that one. Yeah. 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 W- yeah. Wisdom. W- Hold on. I'll look it up. I um, think spending time with older people is something I feel like doesn't happen that much anymore. Yeah. Wisdom is with the age and understanding in length of days. Yes, I think. Yeah, I was thinking of that one, and also the one in Isaiah where it says, "I will still be carrying you when you are old. Your hair will turn grey, and Aww. I will still carry you. I made you, and I'll carry you to safety." Aww. Which is so sweet. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a person. I have to admit this. I'm a person who's not really interested in like youth. I love hanging sure. out with the oldies. Like when I hear about my my friends who get to go on Grey Nomad camps, I get so jealous. I'm like, I can't wait to turn fifty so I can go oh, to Grey Nomad. Is that the camp. standard? You have to be. 50 I think years you have old. to be fifty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My friend Amara and I have cooked up this plan where we're 
we're going to get dressed up as grandmas and then like <laughs> sneak into Crane No Man's Camp. We'll That's get like awesome. a walking frame <laughs> and put flour in our hair. Mm. But yeah, hanging out with old people is something that can um, not only just bring you joy, but bring them joy. Mm. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, really, uh, if you have the opportunity, spend some time with older people and ask, just ask them for a story. Yeah. Great place to start. You never know what wisdom they'll dispel. They've lived a whole lifetime. Mm. Love them. Anyway, hey, if you have a if you if you might be an older person, you have some wisdom to dispel, tell us a story. Yep. Text it in 0491-064-669 or, or, or call DJ Shell and tell her the story and she'll share it with us and we'll share it on air. You're listening to the Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. And we are going to continue with another clue for the quiz. What number am I? The chapter in Daniel that tells the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace. Oh. Yep. So if you weren't sure, you can now just <laughs> turn to your Bibles, get out the book of Daniel. Absolutely. And, uh, and check which chapter that starts in. It's yeah, that really cool story where they get thrown into a fiery furnace and they survive. Oh, survive the fire zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Hey, DJ Shell just pointed out you could, if you win this prize on Friday, you could literally have a wonderful Sabbath assembling your one thousand piece jigsaw puzzle of Jesus at the helm, which is a depiction of a storm uh, um, out in the ocean, but Jesus at the at the helm of like the boat and the people clinging to him in safety. Mm. Uh, and you could assemble that while listening to the other prize, which is the Great Controversy DVD from Fountain View Academy Orchestra and Singers, which is a, it's a music DVD, so you mm. can just put that on the background and listen to that while uh, while doing a puzzle. Which is, that sounds like a good night, a great, great time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, love a good jigsaw Dude, puzzle. Just something, just something to like – jigsaw puzzle is like something you do while doing something else. Right, yeah. It's like, well, you're Chatting. doing that, but then you're like talking or you're mm-hmm. listening mm-hmm. or – like it, it's like the same thing as drawing, yeah. you know, and you kind of kind of doing a few things at the same time. Hey, you're listening to the breakfast show, and um, I guess I'm just going to talk about my essay because it's it's been like a journey. It's legit. <laughs> it's like my computer was just I had like six different windows open with different research and whatnot. I've now because I'm I'm just doing I'm just finishing up my referencing. It's due at one p.m. today, so I'm just finishing up my referencing. I've got all my all the windows that I actually used in in. In one window. But essentially, the flow of my essay was like this. So my research question was, did God preemptively remove Pharaoh's ability to repent by hardening his heart? Mm. And this comes from the first time that God communicates with Moses how it is that he's going to enable the people to be freed from from Egypt. He says this, this is uh, Exodus chapter four and verse 21. And the Lord says to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh, all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son and say, to, and, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Mm. So, so this is the this is the the challenge that well, this is what Moses is communicated to by God to say to Pharaoh. Now, the if you look at this passage through the lens of cause and effect, it's pretty simple. It's like if Pharaoh refuses to let the Israelites go after God has demonstrated by the miracles that Moses will perform, after you know God has demonstrated His power, He will be punished by the death. Of his, and we know that the rest, it's the rest of Egypt as well, their firstborn son. So it's like, it's like a quick, 
you know, it's a, it's a clear ultimatum. It's like, yeah. let the people go and then your son won't die. Now, the ethicality of Pharaoh's punishment is something that has been labored over, but that's not necessarily part of my essay. What's part of my essay is, <laughs> does God actually give Pharaoh an ultimatum or a challenge that he actually has no ability to live up to? And the reason is because of that one line in there, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Um, if God, like, is the subject of hardening his heart here, preemptively, if God hardens his heart so that he won't let the people go, in that case, Pharaoh is then undoubtedly going to fail. Yeah, um, and it shifts the blame. Yeah, and he, and, and he will bear a punishment he cannot escape. And within, within, yeah, within the passage, making God's gesture of going to him and saying, let my people go, it's like a pointless thing mm. uh, because God has already determined what the outcome will be. Now, I started in my essay by doing a review of the Hebrew and the outcome of my, you know, Hebrew in, in that passage immediately, you have the phrase, Va'ani as a cheked levon, which means essentially, and I will harden his heart. So showing that clearly within the passage, God is the subject of hardening. You know, it's not, it's not someone else. It's not a mistranslation when it says, uh, you know, I will harden his heart. He is definitely, um, got the one who is going to harden Pharaoh's heart. But, this actually opens more questions than it resolves because in the 20 times in which the hardening of Pharaoh's heart is mentioned in the book of Exodus, 10 of them ascribe Pharaoh to being the subject of hardening. So God is the subject in Mm -hmm. God is the preeminent example of being the subject. So being the subject means he's the one that's acting in hardening Pharaoh's heart, but then 10 other times Pharaoh is acting to harden his own heart. So then this creates a bit of a, well, there's already kind of an ethical puzzle going on, but then it's, there's a further puzzle within the story itself and within the passage, because it's like, well, who's hardening Pharaoh's heart? I then went through and did a review of every single time, you know, a verb is used to describe the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, whether it's by God or whether it's by Pharaoh. And for all of them, and then and the main ones are Chazak, Kashar, and Kabed, all of them are used by both Pharaoh and God to describe the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. So there's no difference in the way that Pharaoh's heart is hardened, either by God or by Pharaoh. So, you know, there's no supernatural precedent or whatnot that I could find within the text. Ultimately, because of this, I was like, okay, then the paradox still exists. And I I thought that then there was three questions that need to be solved. The first one is the chronological preeminence of God as the subject. So that means because God is the ascribed as the first subject of hardening, you know, where does that, how does that fit in? If God is the first subject and then Pharaoh is the second subject, how does, how does that work? You know, who hardened whose heart first? Uh, The second one is the ethicality of God being the subject. It's like, okay, if God is hardening Pharaoh's heart, then that's a, big ethical problem. Mm. Uh, and then the third one is by what means is Pharaoh's heart hardened? Yeah. And that is because it's not described. And again, the same hardening is taking place when Pharaoh hardens his heart as when God hardens his heart. So it's like, what, you know, what, what difference is going on there? So that took me on a journey right throughout history. And I started with Oregon. And the reason I, I went right throughout history is because the ethical implications of this passage have been felt all the way back since the third century. People were already saying in Oregon, who was one of the most famous theologians in the early Greek church, he was like, if God is the subject of hardening, then Pharaoh is being punished as a result of sins, which he cannot repent for making God unjust. Now, 
ultimately Oregon would synthesize this passage and, and explain it in a way that says that, oh, you know, ultimately there's something going on here, but yeah, God God isn't the, the preeminent subject. It's rather, you know, Pharaoh hardens his heart first and God God continually hardens it as a result. Um, Augustine would somewhat agree with this in a similar way. Augustine, 200 years later in the 4th century, in the 5th century, would write, around, around 480, um, Augustine would write, oh, hey, um, you know, his heart's going to be hardened, but it's going to, this hardening is going to come by way of outside influences that will harden his heart, not because God is bending his free will. Now, Oregon would go on to become very anti-Pelagian, uh, which was a con- controversy that was happening at the time, and he would kind of pioneer predestination, basically oh. kind of flipping and saying, mm-hmm. no, everyone who is saved is saved because God picks them to be saved, and everyone is, who is lost is picked to be lost because God chooses them yeah. to be. Um, humans aren't necessarily agents of free choice, but rather we are controlled in, you know, in the sovereign will of God. And this was then reflected more specifically between John Calvin and Jacobus Arminius, which is the two, the two main theologies that represent the tension between these ideas, Calvinism and Arminianism, you know, predetermination versus free choice. That's, you know, they were in the 16th century. Then it came down to, well, what do I think? And I did another survey of the text. I looked at everything. And and ultimately, we see from the text that while God says, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart, when speaking to Moses in Exodus 4.21, he's talking about a future event taking place. The first instance in which Pharaoh's heart is actually hardened is in in chapter 7, and Pharaoh is the subject. So the first person to actually harden Pharaoh's heart is Pharaoh himself. Mm -hmm. But then the question is, well, why is Pharaoh hardening his heart? Or by what means is Pharaoh's heart being hardened? And it's clear from the narrative that Pharaoh's heart is continually hardened as a result of experiencing the plagues. Mm. Not once in the Bible does it say his heart is hardened because God supernaturally took away his will. Mm. It does not say that. It just says his heart is hardened. And the question is, why? As a result of the plagues. If that's the case... If Pharaoh is the first person to harden his heart and his heart is being uh, hardened by the result of his plagues, then when God is the subject of hardening his heart, again, by what means? By sending the plagues, then there's no ethical issue. God didn't harden Pharaoh's heart to begin with. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And whenever God ascribes himself to hardening Pharaoh's heart, it's because he sent the plagues that would harden Pharaoh's heart. But that hardening would be as a result of Pharaoh's own free will. Therefore, God does not take away our ability to repent but has always given us the opportunity to choose him to repent and to turn from our sins. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. You are listening to The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM, and you are joined by myself, Lawson, by my co-host, Monica, and by none other, the wonderful, the amazing, Kelvin. Kelvin, how are you doing? Hey, going good. You're good. Oh, come on, Shell. Uh, she, Shell. Shell left you off because she just wanted to prank you. It's just a prank. Um, we're going to get into all things Bible, wacky and wonderful. But before we do, we're going to have an, uh, another clue for the quiz. What number am I? Mm-hmm. Though summoned to curse Israel, Balaam actually blessed them this many times. Mm-hmm. Just for the record, it's the same number the whole way through. So if you got it right, you don't have to keep guessing. It's mm-hmm. the same number. It's not a different number with each clue. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a one quiz for the whole morning, and they're all clues pointing to the same number. Mm-hmm. The clues just get easier. 
So though summoned to curse Israel, Balaam actually blessed them this number of times. What number is it? Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Absolutely. You are listening to The Breakfast Show. And Kelvin, as usual, we love having you in here. What have you got to share with us today? I've got some crazy stuff. I've got what's called Ezba Elohim in the Hebrew language, which is ba-ba-ba. The finger of God. Hey, the finger of God. This is coming from, well, the book of Exodus. <laughs> it is, Exodus, mm. and also it's found in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. It's also mentioned in the New Testament in Luke chapter 11. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other vague illusions and references to it throughout Scripture. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I want to get into that and start looking at uh, what the Bible actually does say and what the significance of the finger of God is. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of the finger of God, I think the first instance of the Bible saying that would probably be in Exodus chapter 7 or 8. Well, I've got chapter 8. Yes, correct. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Awesome. So, so what's that in so relation? What's, what's Exodus chapter 8? Exodus chapter 8 is the plagues. It is the and, plagues. And uh, the first clue that you had in your quiz was on... Yeah, the plague of darkness. Yes. Mm-hmm. So how how crazy is that? We're mm-hmm. we're in sync. We're in sync. Really. <laughs> and I, if if you didn't hear, I just gave my whole. Uh, I just told everyone about my whole thesis about the state of Pharaoh's heart and whether God hardened it. So that's I've been deep in this passage for for the last couple of days at least. But uh, yeah, yeah, uh, this is it's all coming together. The finger of God. One of the things you've got to study this in relation to communion because it works oh. in beautifully with communion as wow. well. That's that's another crazy illustration illustration right there. Mm-hmm. So the thing I love about the finger of God, you've, you've got to build the story. Exodus chapter 8, verse 18 and 19, if you want to turn there with me. Mm-hmm. Exodus chapter 8, verse 18 and 19. Yep. So here we've got Moses and Aaron, um, and the, the first plague is turning the water into blood. Mm-hmm. The second plague is the water actually has frogs jumping up out of it and engrossing the land. Mm-hmm. So this is a water-based plague. Mm-hmm. The third one is the dust turn into lice. So it's a land-based plague. Mm-hmm. So this is where we are in Exodus chapter 8. And if you'd like to share verse 18 and 19, please. The Bible says in 18 and 19, the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. What's interesting about the first couple of plagues is that the magicians, they tried to emulate them, and they did. They could replicate water into blood Mm -hmm. in a small quantity. They also, and I don't know how they did it, but they also replicated frogs out of water. Mm Mm-hmm. But here, turning dust into lice, they could not do. Mm-hmm. And the, the fact that they they were unable to do it, they recognized the creative power of God, and they said, this is the finger of God. Mm-hmm. So by their own their very own admission, like God existed, and it's also this the finger of God is a reference to creation itself. Yeah. Absolutely. So he saw in the plagues creation. Yeah. Well, he's bringing about creation, right, to produce gnats, which is something that the magicians of Egypt just simply could not do. Yep. Mm. So the next thing um, is Exodus chapter 24. No, how about we look at uh, 31 verse 18? Sure. Exodus 
chapter 31 and verse 18. Monica, have you got that for us? Yep. Exodus 31 verse 18, I am reading from the KJV, and it says, mm-hmm. And he gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of communing with him upon, upon, upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Bum, bum, bum. Mm-hmm. The finger of God. Mm-hmm. So here we have a direct intervention by God. Here's a, um, a recognition of this. And this reminds me, when I was going through this, it also made me think about the prophet Daniel, mm. you know, and there was the writing on the wall by the finger of God, which was mm. many, 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 tickle, many tackle, you fasten. fasten. Yeah. yeah. So here's a, a, it doesn't say the finger of God, but we know it was the finger of God that wrote on the wall. Mm. Um, so we've got the power of God. But I want to go through and, and have a look at this, and we've got some learning outcomes from this. Yeah, absolutely. So there's some very important illustrations, and that's why I want to get through this and... Um, and, and talk about that. Mm-hmm. So Exodus 31 verse 18. Exodus chapter 31 is, verse 18. is talking about the finger of God, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mention the tables, too much detail about the tables. Let's go mm-hmm. to um, Exodus 24 verse 10 and also verse 12. Mm, Exodus 24, 10 to verse 12. I've got it here. Just 10 and just 12. Just yep. 12, yep. And they saw the God of Israel, there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven of for clearness. And then verse 12, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. Yeah, so verse 10 says that these stones, these pavements, Mm -hmm. were blue. They're sapphire. Some some versions say lapis lazuli. Mm -hmm. But it says that they they were clear as the heavens. So when you look up into the sky, the sky is blue, but it's see-through and clear. So this is what the the commandments... Transparent blue. Yeah. We see this a number of times in the Bible. It's like the streets of heaven are pure gold, like the pavements of heaven are, are pure gold, yet simultaneously they are... See through, you know, it's, it's it's interesting. But this is saying the same. These stones, they're they're pure blue, yep. but they're they're transparent. So mm. let's have a look at Deuteronomy chapter nine and verse ten. Mm. Deuteronomy nine and verse ten. Monica, if you get that for us, Deuteronomy chapter nine and verse ten. We're such millennials, we're here trying to load it as fast as we can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Deuteronomy chapter nine and verse ten. Once again, reading from the KJV, says this. And the Lord delivered unto me two tables of stone written with the finger of God, and on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake with you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. Yep. Mm. So just in case you weren't sure who wrote the tables, Exodus 32 verse 16 also says, And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. Now, you could chisel into stone, but sapphire is extremely hard. Is it? How mm. do you chisel into this beautiful crystal? Yeah, wow. And ima- you've you got to imagine this is not just a rough you know, engraving. Mm. This is the finger of God would have done a, a lovely, delicate, beautifully Oof. articulate engraving on this stone. Mm. So when it come down the mountain, they could go, no, this could not be the working of Moses. Mm. Yeah. It's not like Moses had some sort of laser engraver back then. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 
And then you know, as uh, as we know, with some some of our some of our uh, friends, there, yeah, it wasn't like, oh, I've got these stones, and then I need to now, or I need to bury them and rewrite them on paper. You know, it's yeah. hey, these <laughs> these things, I'm I'm giving them straight up to you. Okay, so that's the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Let's have a look at the New Testament. What yeah, does the absolutely. New Testament say about the finger of God? Luke now, eleven. Verse 17, 18, 19, and 20. Luke 11, starting in verse 17, the Bible says, But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. But, and, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But, if it is by the finger of God that I cast demons out, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Ouch. Oof. Wow. Yeah, rough. Yeah, he turned it back onto them. You yeah. Know? If you're doing this by Satan's power, he's saying, well, you're even greater. Yeah. yeah you're even worse. Mm-hmm. But I love the the fact there. I, if I cast it out, if I can't cast out demons by the finger of God, mm. he's referring here to the creative power of God. Yeah, absolutely. He's referring here to. But what's interesting, the illustration here, he's putting the question to them mm. and saying, "You have to choose who I'm from." Mm. And when we look at Pharaoh, Pharaoh's doing exactly the same thing. Moses is putting the question to him and saying, "This is the power of God." You know, mm. Do you recognize it? Do you do you acknowledge it? Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah, so mm. all the way through, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart, but it only took the third um, plague, mm. and the very magicians themselves acknowledged truly this is the finger of God. Yeah, that's right. There was no question left for them, and then it left them in a state such as the Bible talks about the demons, right? And it says, like, even the demons believe and tremble that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But despite this, there wasn't a repentance that came from them. So let's have a look at another example with the finger. Not so much the finger of God, but the finger. John chapter 8, verse 6. Mm -hmm. John chapter 8 and verse 6. You can get that one for us, Monica. John chapter 8 and... In verse 6. It says, This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he had heard them not. Mm. Ooh. So now we kind of have like a, like a tangible humanoid finger. <laughs> yeah, so this is the very finger that created the world is now writing in the dust. Mm. Mm, So he's putting the question to them. He's making them, he's forcing them to choose, Mm. you know, and he writes on the ground. um, And this writing on the ground is there for them to repent, to turn away from their ways. Absolutely. But Mm. none of them, they were convicted of their sin and they walked away. Mm. Right. So there's another, um, we're not going to look to it, but Jeremiah chapter 52 verse 21 talks about the finger Mm. And one of the important things about fingers in Scripture is that they use them for a measurement. Like a cubit mm. was a length, but a cubit was 24 fingers. So when mm. you measure a finger on its side, so if you put three or four fingers up, the width of those fingers is what they call four fingers. Wow. So we're going to have twenty very different cubits. I, I have, <laughs> must have had uniform fingers back then. I have a little. Off the king. I, well, I don't have necessarily small hands, but I got skinny fingers, bro. Did you just say it was measured off the king? 
Yes. Does so that the, mean with every new monarch they had to change? Wow. Yes. Did so you just, just change your currency? It's not, it's not just God save the Queen, yeah. you know. It's, I was just wow. going to say, it's not just a currency thing, but it's actually the unit, the standard of measure. That is wow. wild. So I want to go through, we've got a couple of minutes left. I want to go through a couple of learning outcomes now. Sure, absolutely. So one of the things these teaches us is that the finger of God judges us or measures us against his standard and it weighs us in the balance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Number two, the finger of God is an expression of God's creative power and his divinity. Mm -hmm. It's an enumeration of God's creative power. And I didn't go in and explain that, but when they learnt, when they learn the plagues and the Ten Commandments and the creative utterances of God, they refer to them as fingers because they count them off as they learn them. Mm-hmm. So it's an enumeration. It's an expression of God's ability to create and to recreate. Mm-hmm. The finger of God is the mode used to give us the laws of nature through creation in the physical realm and to establish the law through the giving of the Ten Commandments in the spiritual realm. So there's two, two realities there. Mm. Number four... The physical, the finger of God is unmistakable. It's unique and it shows the divinity of God and it cannot be copied by mortal man. So the last one that I've got written down here is the finger of God puts us to the test and we have to accept or reject like Pharaoh, but we must choose. If we accept the kingdom of God, it is bestowed upon us. Mm. If not, it is taken away. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the finger of God is... A manifestation or a, a a point for us to um, to accept or reject mm, God absolutely. as He is. Yeah, and I love that too because it's as you said, it's this creative power. And thinking back to the Exodus, it was you know what they referred to as like, okay, God has proven His presence here because we can see His finger. And it's like a, a, a modern application of that for me is when we go to the Bible and we see it's like, okay, what's a method by which God proves Himself? And we actually see that you know the Bible gives us prophecy and the Bible gives us those those means by which we can prove Him to be there. We can see the evidence of God. We can see the finger of God Absolutely. working in a supernatural, amen. In a powerful way. Kelvin, thank Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.